This is the Mulligans Podcast, a real estate podcast focused on the duo. We created this podcast to share the stories of real estate individuals who have built their business from the ground up or have lost everything and are working to get it back. I'm Hayden Wright. I'm Austin Cole. And And we we are your hosts. hosts. On today's episode, we have Brock Mogensen, an investor in Wisconsin. Brock started out his real estate career just three years ago by house hacking a duplex and then quickly moved up to buying a 89-unit apartment building with his two partners. Brock, since his three-year start, has retired from his job and under 30 years old with 15 million assets under management. Let's get into today's show. Brock, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just, just get right into it. If you mind, if you don't mind, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm based out of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I'm living here and then investing in this area. Um, been, been at it for about almost four years. Uh, started with a duplex shortly after that. Uh, so I started with the house hack duplex model, which was a great way to start. And then shortly after that, got into the concept of syndication, which is going out and kind of partnering with other investors to go after larger deals. And that's the model I went all in on and since then have been able to scale it up. Um, and it, it, it's been great. Right, so you, you jumped straight from house hacking a duplex into an 89 unit apartment complex. That is correct. Yeah, so that, it was about a year after I closed in the duplex, I closed on 89 unit. That's crazy. That's quite the jump. So what kind of led to that? What helped? Because most people don't do that. It was really creating the right partnership was really what it came down to was there's no way I was able to go out and do that on my own. I mean, I, I didn't have all the requirements the bank's going to look at, uh, you know, get, give a loan for that amount and, you know, the investor confidence. I didn't have the experience. You can't go to investors and say, hey, I want a duplex, you know, invest hundred grand with me. It's not <laughs> right. going to work. So mm-hmm. what I, my approach was, I, I figured out, okay, syndication is the way I want to go. That's how I want to scale this. That's how I'm going to turn into a, a full-time thing. Um, and I spent some time after I, you know, kind of dove into it, realized, okay, I don't have any of these qualifications to be able to syndicate the deal, but so let me kind of learn one piece of it. And then I'll go out and find partners that are not necessarily strong in that piece and then strong in the other pieces to create, you know, a partnership. So underwriting was the, the, my natural tendency to go towards, um, just coming from an analytical background that kind of just made the most sense. So spent some time learning that, uh, lots of networking, found the right partners that, kind of complement each other's skill sets that also had much more experience than me and the rest is kind of history from there <laughs> Sweet. so nice. what was your uh, ways to find those other partners you said it was two other partners if i'm not mistaken yep. correct yes two other partners um really so the first one actually through bigger pockets just just like oh. we connected i mean it's that's a great platform to be on i mean pretty much anywhere you know wherever you are even worldwide i mean they're they do a great job of connecting real estate people um so that's how i connected with my first partner um and then he had another another buddy that had even more experience. So that's how we all three kind of came about. But yeah, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, go to your local networking events. You know, most markets have some real estate networking events. Just go to those. I mean, there, there's endless opportunities in networking. That's the biggest thing in real estate really is your network. I mean, mm-hmm. the larger your network, the the more, the more you're going to grow. I mean, you always got to be building your network and surrounding yourself with other people that are doing things you want to you do. Right. So now with those, with those two other partners, did you have a hard time, like, um, you know, 
relaying your value and because you'd only done a, done a duplex at that point, right? And you had that analytical background. Um, but is that something you struggled with at all? Definitely. Yeah. No, the first, the first one, it was, I really had to kind of earn, earn my spot in the deal. Um, right. Coming in, coming in as the partner that doesn't really have any experience. Um, I just kind of had to luckily, you know, willing to take a, take a shot and they, you know, we, we did that first deal together and I just worked a ton and did every single task I could think of that provided value. And that really just, you know, proved to work out well between the three of us. And that's mm-hmm. how we were able to do another one, another one, another one, and, you know, keep scaling from there where now it's just, you know, we, we go into these deals knowing what each other's roles are, um, which, which has been a huge part of it. Yeah. So what does your portfolio look like now? How many deals have you done so far? Yeah, so we've done seven syndications. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's pretty unconventional in the, the saying that the, you know, most people go into one asset class, right? Mostly a lot of people just go into multifamily. That's where we started, but we started coming across these triple net lease deals, um, so shortly after that, we bought a strip mall, then an office building, then an industrial deal, then a self-storage deal. So we're kind of diversified at this point. And it's been, I, I think at the time it was just, it's a good deal. Let's figure it out and get it done. Yeah. But now looking back on our, our strategy is we have a wider net to kind of look at deals. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a lot more deals instead of staying more. And I, I see the other side too, of kind of staying in your lane, just focus on, you know, one thing. Um, our approach has been, you know, we, we're looking at several asset classes now, so we get to see a lot more deals and have more, you know, more chances at, at getting something that makes sense. So that's kind of been our, been our approach. Um, I'd say most of the deals we're looking at now aren't even apartments. We're looking at a lot of industrial stuff mostly. Really? Okay. It's kind of all over the place, like Hayden and I's brains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, you know, to, you said it yourself, it, a lot of people recommend starting out and niching down on what you want to be good at, but you guys kind of went, you know, a little bit of everything, right? I mean, there was not a whole lot missing from that sort of portfolio. Um, did you guys struggle uh, with, with, you know, finding lending for that or what was, what was tough about that process? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing was learning, you know, the, the fundamentals of real estate, you know, across all asset classes are really the same, right? NOI, that's what all commercial properties are, are run off of. The biggest differences are the, the, the triple net leases. Um, there's some, some differences there that you kind of have to understand how it works. Um, your due diligence is going to be a little bit different on, you know, a strip mall or industrial building compared to apartment building. You're really going to dive deep on, you know, one tenant. Um, if, it's a, if it's a single tenant deal, or I mean, there might be eight tenants, you know, you're going to, you're going to analyze their, their company financials. You're going to really spend a lot of time doing the due diligence there where, you know, an apartment, you might just kind of quickly look over their lease. So there's some, there's some differences. I think the biggest thing is kind of getting to know how triple net leases work and how CAM works. So the common area maintenance, that's the line item of income that comes through on triple net leases. So understanding how to reconcile that stuff. And I mean, there was definitely some, some stuff we've, at the beginning, we weren't, we weren't experts on the first deal, you know, we first triple net deal we did, but I think um, we, we kind of did the learn as, learn as we go approach. And it's been good because now we understand how to analyze these deals how to do due diligence on these deals. And it's allowed us to, you know, kind of see more deals and do more deals. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned that triple net lease deals are your favorite type of deal. What, what does that include? Like what properties could you do a triple net? And then what is triple net for those that don't know? Yeah. So triple net essentially is the tenants paying all operating expenses. So taxes, insurance, you know, the snow removal, the landscaping, 
um, the painting. I mean, they're, they're covering all that stuff. The only stuff that's not encompassed the tenant's going to pay for is like large capital expenditures. Like, you know, you redid the parking lot or you got to put a new roof on that stuff. The owner is still going to pay for a trip on that lease. I mean, it, it gets, it gets covered in cam. You reconcile at the end of each year and determine if you have to increase it or decrease it. Um, that's really what triple net leases are. Those are most commonly found in retail, industrial, um, and kind of 50-50 on office. Some office assets have it, some don't. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, any industrial and retail deal, you're going to see triple net leases. If there's not, then there might be something weird with, with the lease or maybe the market just doesn't support it. But that's really where, where you're going to see it. Um, I like triple net lease deals. I mean, the, all expenses are, are pretty much covered. You still have to budget for those large CapEx items that are going to pop up. But it's really, um, it's, it's beneficial from the owner side not to have to worry about, you know, huge tax increases and stuff. We know the tenant's going to be covering it. Gotcha. So focusing primarily on uh, those triple net lease deals, are you, do you think you'll ever go back into the, uh, the apartment space? Yeah, just... we're, we're still doing apartments too. We just, we just okay. closed on a mixed use deal that was 50% apartments. Um, so, I mean, I, I still love apartments. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I found a good apartment deal, I'd, that, that, you know, that industrial, I mean, those two are my favorite right now, but it's, it's um, just, it's competitive. I mean, all, all real estate assets are competitive, but you know, the 150 unit B class value add apartment that everyone wants. I mean, those right. you're looking at yeah. five cap right now and it's, it's just hard to make sense or we can find industrial at with a strong tenant with a long-term lease at a eight cap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously there's, there's risk components to each one that vary, but for us uh, and our, and our investor base, industrial has kind of been provided the returns we, we, we like to see. So if you had to choose one, you would go with the industrial one? Yeah. If I say right now, I mean, that I'm the most, most bullish on, on as far as finding deals, I would say industrial. <laughs> I mean, apartments, like the fundamentals of apartments, I, I'd say apartments I like the most. Mm-hmm. It's just not, not seeing, you know, the deals are out there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, people are doing deals and they're out there. It's just really, really competitive in, in those big multifamily deals right now. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay. So what, what markets are you currently in? So the greater Milwaukee area, uh, we go kind of like within an hour span of Milwaukee. So most of our stuff is, you know, tertiary markets right outside Milwaukee. So some smaller markets that most people aren't going to know that aren't from here. But um, yeah, really, it's an hour radius of Milwaukee. We haven't gone anywhere outside of that. Eventually, I'd like to, you know, start looking at some other states and maybe some more of the the fun markets. But right now, that's kind of where we're focusing. Gotcha. Uh, so what are some of your other criteria for those tertiary markets? Yeah. I mean, like, like to see something that's not really small, you know, a, a decent sized population, um, some job growth going on there, hopefully some, some increase in population. I mean, Wisconsin as a whole isn't, you know, it's not Texas, it's not Florida. There's not thousands of people moving here each day. Um, right. You know, there is some pockets that, that we found um, where, where we invest in that there is positive migration, which, which is good. Um but you're, you're not going to see those huge metrics like you're going to see in a lot of other markets. There is some good pockets, but for us, I mean, we're just looking at, we want to, you know, a big, we don't want to be in some city in the middle of nowhere that scares us a little bit. You know, we want to be 20, 30 minute perimeter of Milwaukee, usually uh, with a, with a decent sized population and with some jobs going there. Um, and, you know, as long as the deal is the right size, we're, we usually like it. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. So how do you primarily source deals? I was in preparation for the show. I went through some of your old Instagram stories and I saw that you were doing a original direct mail campaign. So I didn't know if you were still doing that Ooh. or if uh, you were going through brokers or what does it look like now? Yeah, that's, that, that must've been a, 
year or two back. Yeah. 100, 183 weeks, according to your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we, I, I've done, I've done a lot of starting out. I was doing a ton of direct mail and we had a whole bunch, put a whole bunch of time into these campaigns. Um, I mean, it, it works like that definitely works. Just people doing, doing deals. It just, it's hard once you start looking for the larger deal, it's hard to find good data for direct mail and everything. Most everything in all those properties are registered in LLC. That LLC usually is the address is the attorney's office or the title office. Usually they don't have their personal home address on there. Right. So it's hard, hard to get good contact. So, so we did, we did that whole thing. Um, didn't really have much luck. Most of our, all of our deals right now are either through brokers or just direct to owner relationships we form in one way or another through networking. Gotcha. Oh, wow. Okay. So now when you were sending those direct mail pieces, were you calling and following up or were they just returning, um, returning through call or text or however you provided? Yes, we set up a whole campaign. We had a virtual assistant. So we were doing, we were sending out letters. We were having the VA call each person, text them. If we had an email, we were emailing them. So we had the whole kind of campaign set up and we, we kind of targeted most department buildings in, in our, on our criteria range throughout the state. So mm -hmm. we, it, I mean, we definitely went all out on it. I, mean, I think we spent like ten grand on this campaign. And, wow! You know, we got we got a handful of leads, but every every lead the, the calls we would get. I mean, we had the VA kind of do the initial call and everything, and then if they were interested, they'd set up a call with myself and my partner. And pretty much every call was the same. It was it was an owner, you know, a big apartment building that said, "Yeah, I'll sell, but I, you know, you're, you're not going to like the price I'm going to sell for." And <laughs> I don't have anything at 1031 into right now. So unless you're going to pay me a stupid price, I'm not going to sell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was pretty much how every conversation went. Um, so, I mean, it, it was good. I mean, you know, there's, I think if we were to continue to just keep, you know, dumping money into it and, and really going all in on that, probably would have found another, found a deal or two through it. It's just, I, I really think more deals are done through brokers. Okay. Makes sense. All right. Um, so with your, how does your syndication structure look like? Um, like how do you finance your deals? Uh, yeah, so it, it varies quite a bit on each deal. Um, each deal we've done has, has generally had a little bit of a different of a structure on the syndication side. So mm -hmm. some deals would do a preferred return. Some deals would just do a straight equity split. It might just be 80-20 split, 70-30 split, or maybe do a preferred return and do a 65-35 split. So I mean, that that varies by deal depending on you know a number of factors. You know, how big is it? What does the cash flow look like? You know, what is the opportunity on the exit? So we structure those differently, ultimately with the goal of providing, you know, good returns to our LP investors. That's the, you know, the, always the, the main goal of mm -hmm. setting these deals up and negotiating the prices at, at what point, you know, can we, we take our split, but still provide good returns to our investors. So that varies quite a bit. We're pretty, I mean, we're, we're, we're not, we don't go crazy. We, we charge the, the standard fees. We're not getting very complicated. Like a lot of operators get pretty complicated with their structures. Um, financing we've done one deal through agency debt all the other ones have just been through local banks so really? we have a good five or six local banks here that we know very well um and we're, we're able to really get some good terms through them so it's been having those connections has been has been mm -hmm. great i mean we, we stay in constant communication with our banks so when we as soon as we have a deal you know i hit all five of those people up and we kind of see uh who's gonna give us the best terms <laughs> so you prefer the smaller banks yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a point. I mean, I think once you once you get to a certain deal size, right? I mean, if you start looking at, you know, maybe over five million or over ten million, I don't know exactly what the what the border is going to be, but then you know you have to you have to start looking at the other options because you know the local banks. The downside is it's going to be it's going to be recourse. 
Um, so you're, you know, you're personally guaranteeing the note. I'm, I'm, you know, the three, three of us are personally guaranteeing this, all these properties, which there's some risk there, obviously. Yeah. Um, the upside of it is you're generally going to get a little bit more favorable terms. They're not going to be, you know, a lot of like the agency debt has really hefty prepayment penalties and not much flexibility when everything hit the fan with COVID, all those, all those big agency lenders were just like, right. well, you know, figure it out. You know, you guys got to still pay us. <laughs> Yeah. Where with the local bank, you know, if we were to get, if we would luckily, you know, we didn't get in any huge trouble anywhere, but if something were to have gone wrong, we could have called our guy and said, Hey, you know, we, we got a problem. Can we figure out how we can restructure this thing? And so, I mean, there, there's benefits to, to both. Um, but yeah, I think it's really, once you start getting in that really large deal size, it's like, you know, you, these local banks are going to kind of get priced out and you have to go for, you know, the Fannie and Freddie debt, um, which has the non-recourse, which is nice. Gotcha. Okay. So do all three of you raise money and, and how do you go about that? Yeah. So all three of us participate in, in raising capital. So it's really, I mean, we're always talking to investors, doing everything we can, you know, marketing and, you know, meeting, meeting people with coffee and going to networking events and um, just always trying to find new investors that are interested in, you know, what we're doing. And it's really, I mean, we get a deal under contract. We put, we put in an investment summary together. We go through our due diligence. We hold a webinar. We're actually holding a webinar tonight. Right after this, we have a webinar for a deal oh, nice. we're, we're pitching. Um, so we hold the webinar. I mean, we, we you know, each one of us kind of has our, our list of investors that we've, you know, built rapport with. And mm-hmm. we kind of just send it out. And it's usually first come, first serve basis. Um, sometimes, I mean, we have, we have certain groups of investors that are kind of like, have invested, with, you know, in like all of our deals. So sometimes we'll kind of give them a first look at it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really just, we each have our list that we kind of just go through and we all just start raising money. And whenever we get to the goal, we cut it off. Mm, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So now part of the, part of the reason I asked that question is I was wondering, since you are, uh, you do host the, the largest real estate event in uh, or meetup in Wisconsin. Is that correct? So I, I have to, I have to be careful when I say that, cause I don't want to, I don't want to lie. So it's the largest multifamily meetup. There we go. In Wisconsin. Okay. There's a lot of, so there's a lot of, uh, and I think this is true in most markets. A lot of the meetups are geared towards like, you know, fixing, flipping, um, yeah. wholesaling. That's kind of how we started. It was like, let's just do something that's, we were focusing on multifamily, you know, commercial deals. So it's the, with that branding, there's a few other larger ones around here, but they're just solely on, you know, the fix and flip model. So we're, mm. In that aspect, yes, we're the largest one. That's, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, I appreciate your honesty, uh, but, but but that's still quite the title. So, uh, what kind of benefits has that brought you? I mean, have you met some of your investors there? I mean, obviously, it builds credibility. Um, but what does that return look like? Yeah, it's provided a ton of value. Yeah, investors. I mean, the we 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 met a group of investors that have funded like half of our deals through through there. Uh, we've met a lot of you know one off other single investors through there too that you know, I've done, I've done that way. I mean, they're building connections. You have to really find any deals through it, but I have built connections with banks through there. I think it really also just builds kind of your, your status when you can kind of say, you know, we're running this meetup and you invite people to it. So there, there's been several ways that have directly, you know, monetarily benefited us. Um, but that being said, I mean, our goal was never like, let's start this thing to obviously, you know, eventually like, okay, there's gonna be some benefits for me down the road. Right. You're not just going to do it all for nothing, but really the goal is let's just get as many people here. Let's provide as much value as we can and kind of just see what comes about it. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been great for building connections. And when you're able to kind of, you know, say you run this meetup and people hear about you, you don't even know them because they, they heard you run the meetup. I mean, that, that goes a long way. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of benefit 
and, and starting um, a meetup in your local market. Is there uh, any way you can touch on how y'all scaled and uh, how are you able to uh, quit your job and become 100% focused on the real estate? Yeah, you, I saw on your Instagram, you posted that, I think the other day that you were, uh, you were able to leave your job after just three years of being in the real estate game, right? So just what, because most people don't do that, obviously. So what yeah. led to scaling so quickly and achieving that, um, you know, in a three-year time period? Yeah, really, it was it was this this syndication model. I mean, and that that's what allowed me to, you know, if I if I went if I were to just go on the route of I'm just gonna, you know, save up, you know, 15, 20 grand each year and, and buy a duplex, you know, I'd, I'd probably be at, you know, four or five duplexes right now. And that obviously is not going to get me to being able to leave my job and do that full time. Mm-hmm. So from that was the way really it was going that model, partnering with the right people and, you know, allowing to get big, bigger equity pieces in these deals compared to the amount of money I'm putting down, you know, out of pocket into these deals. Um, you know, I, I wasn't making, you know, a huge, it wasn't like I had some massive salary there where I could dump, you know, 100, 200 grand each year into deals. Um, mm-hmm. So really, it was just a lot of, you know, grinding. I mean, it was doing both for, you know, three years. Uh, it was a lot. I mean, it, it's, it's, it was a lot of work to do it to build it up. But I mean, now that I've gotten to the freedom of being able, being full time in real estate. I mean, I still work a ton, but it's yeah. it's nice having having the freedom. But it's just, I mean, really anyone. I mean, it's just you know, like anything, put a couple of years and grind hard, and you get the payout. Gotcha. So, how did you determine whether um, you know that it was the right time to leave that job? Were you waiting on a certain uh, you know income per month, or were you looking for a, a total net worth, or was it just when you know you were making more doing your real estate rather than at your job? It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, it was really, I didn't, I didn't have like an exact number. Like once I hit this number, that's the day I'm going to leave. It was, it was, I, I kind of wanted to just get in the ballpark of, yeah, first it was, let me make more than I'm making currently at job. So exceeded that. Then it was like, obviously, you know, you can look at it both ways. You know, as, as I was growing, I was also kind of increasing my lifestyle, my life spend. Um, I was still staying, you know, pretty low key, but so that there's also that piece of where maybe I could have left six months earlier if I were to stay living in my duplex, but um, it was, uh, so yeah, I mean, that was the first thing. And then it was, you know, let me, I wanted to get to where my, my real estate income each month covers all my expenses and, you know, my rent and, you know, my, my going out to dinners, expense, everything. So I, I was kind of safe there Had a little bit of put a little bit aside too, as kind of a safety net. So I got to that point. And I mean, the hardest part, I mean, there's always going to be an excuse not to do it. Right. Um, and I kind of, you know, I, I dragged it on for a few months after that, you know, I was like, I, I got, I hit, hit everything I needed. I was like, okay, I got to this point, got to that point, you know, I'm good. And I was like, ah, you know, there's, I got this, there's bonus in a few months. Let me just wait a few more months and then I'll leave. And finally, you know, just one week, I was just like, you know, I, I just, I'm just gonna do it now. You know, if I don't, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And it was really a decision. I just kind of made, set the meeting up with my manager for that next Monday and just went in and did it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's some risk for sure. I mean, I think, you know, being, not having a ton of responsibilities when you're, you know, our age, it's, it's easier to do than when you're much older and you have a family to support, there's more burden there. So, I mean, for me, it was like, now, you know, there's, I don't think there's ever going to be a better time for me to take this risk. Right. And I mean, everybody talks about the, you know, the glorious day they get to quit, but I imagine that's still a kind of a bittersweet moment where you're, you're fearful and you know, that it's, it's necessary and that it's a, you know, calculated risk, but I, you know, it's, it's still, I imagine your heart race was racing during that manager meeting, huh? Oh, it, 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 it I was literally shaking. I was, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't, cause 
I, I also kind of, I, uh, I took on a new, a new position, like the last couple months I was in that role too. So it was kind of, so it was good. I mean, I got to learn, learn, learn a new skill set. but yeah, it was mm-hmm. um, definitely, definitely bittersweet. I mean, when I left the company, I left, I mean, I left on good terms. I had nothing bad to say. It wasn't like, I mean, if maybe if I like hated my manager and hated the company, it'd probably yeah. been more like, you know, fuck you. I'm out of here. But it was, <laughs> was kind of like, it was kind of like, yeah, it was bittersweet. It was like, I'm going to kind of miss this place, but also I'm really excited not to have to drive down to work every day. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's transition into this new segment that Austin doesn't even know about that I uh, sort of came up with on my own. So uh, it is inspired by, have you ever seen a Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. I okay. feel, yeah, the old show, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was an old show. They redid yeah. it, and it's not as good, but it's still good. Anyway, so we're going to call this one Questions from a Hat, but except for this week, it's a mug, not a hat. <laughs> so we're going to pull three questions from this mug, and uh, you're going to answer them. So what is your craziest real estate story? Ooh. It's a good one. Um, I would say craziest real estate story is of a property right now where the uh, real big hurdle we've <laughs> downside we've seen is we have a park we have a property where the parking garage decided to, to start collapsing. Oh, not oh, collapse, geez. but start and then I not collapse. Like, oh no, that bag with everything, you know, that's happened. But it's um it, it's just starting to decay a little bit. So we had to shut the parking garage down. So right now we're going through possibly getting into some new construction. So Oh no! I'm, I'm still still learning more about that, but that's probably the scary story I have in real estate. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. I wouldn't have had that budgeted for capex, but um, but yeah, wow. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your real estate superpower? I think we kind of know the answer to that one. I would say the underwriting side. I mean, that's really mm. where I spend most of my time. Yeah. How did you get good at that? Is it just sort of your natural numbers guy, or what? No, I mean, I I mean, I kind of came from, you know, I was an analyst at my W2 job. So that kind of helped me understand spreadsheets and, you know, how to, how to kind of look at stuff from a certain viewpoint, but really it was just sitting down and finding all the content I could on underwriting and just practicing, practicing a lot mm-hmm. and um, just playing around with spreadsheets. I and mean, that's really, it was just a lot of, a lot of that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, makes sense. All right. And last but not least, do you have a controversial real estate opinion? Ooh, um, yeah, take your time on that one. That one controversial. I, I guess I'd go back to what we, what we kind of talked about where it was the, my, our, our kind of unconventional approach of not just sticking to one asset class um, and kind of yeah. looking at several asset classes. I know you, a lot of operators, I'm not disagreeing with those operators that say, you know, sure. just focus on one. Cause I, I see the value in that too, you know, to, to be an expert in one piece, but so that's kind of, I would say, the answer for that one i'd say that's pretty controversial yeah but i mean <laughs> obviously it's it's produced good fruit so you know, good. keep yeah. doing what you're doing <laughs> all right well great now we're going to go into your mulligan so um in all of your investment career what was your mulligan what was the one thing that you do differently Ooh, um tough one I would say, and this is probably the answer a lot of people give, is I wish I would have just started the education process even earlier on. Uh, I wish I would have started it when I was in college. I mean, you know, I wish I would have started going to networking events and start Mm. reading books in college. I mean, I ultimately didn't really kind of start really diving into it until a year or two out of college. So it's not like it was a super late start, but I think earlier is always the better. And the education piece, you know, that's usually a one to two year process. I mean, Right. Kind of getting into it, starting to listen to the podcasts and the books. I mean, that's going to take you a year or two just to kind of build the fundamental knowledge sure. of how real estate works. So I think the earlier you can start that process, the better off you'll be. Gotcha. So you, how, how old was that? Like 23, 22, when you're starting to learn 
Yeah, it was, yeah, 22, 23 was kind of when I first came across the first podcast, uh, oh, wow. you know, and that was, you know, from there, just kind of that's how it all started. Gotcha. And before you, you know, purchased that duplex, how long was it about, did you say like one or two years? Uh, it was about exactly a year. Wow. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, I'd say almost exactly a year because it was right around my birthday that we closed, I closed both of them. <laughs> oh, nice. What a good birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so if uh, you could give the audience one piece of advice to, I guess, get to the level where you're at now, what would that be? Um, I would say really, if, if, if you're, if you want to go with the partnership model, if you, if you think in whatever capacity it is, maybe you just, I, I'm a, I really like the the model of, of finding partners and doing deals, whether it's a syndicated deal or whether it's just a straight JV deal. That's really, I, I think that's a great way to scale to kind of combine everyone's, you know, superpowers and, and really, you know, do good deals and operate them well. So I would say, I mean, don't get too, you know, on the, on the front end, there's a ton that goes into real, a real estate deal. Don't get too caught up on like needing to understand every single piece of it. Cause eventually mm-hmm. you will. Uh, I think really just, if you want to go the partnership model, just focus on one piece and really spend some time learning that piece. Maybe it's, you know, becoming an expert property management or, you know, analyzing deals or finding deals, um, kind of just hone in on that one piece and then partner with other people that, you know, are looking for someone in that piece. Cause there's always someone out there that's really good at this stuff, but they're not good at this stuff. If you can combine forces with just a ton of networking and meeting the right people, it uh, usually leads to some good deals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that that last thing you said is, is super important. I think that's probably what led to, you know, so much of your success is that you, you found that right, you know, that right connection, that right partnership that, that, uh, you know, obviously you guys click really well together and have done a ton of deals so far. So I'm excited to see what you guys do in the, the near future. Um, but I know we got to get out, get you out of here. I know you got a webinar after this, so we're going to go ahead and ask the last couple questions. So what is one thing that you want people to know about you that we didn't have the chance to discuss today? Whether that's a hobby, you know, a weird fact or, or uh, just something we haven't talked about. Uh, I'm a big golfer. Love oh, are golf. you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, uh, are you any good? That's, that's uh, I'm pretty decent. Yeah, I'm <laughs> average. <laughs> pretty, <laughs> pretty modest. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I play quite a bit. I mean, it was golf was a huge way. I mean, I, in the summertime, I golf a ton around here now in the winter in Wisconsin. I mean, it's, you know, just working even more cause it's not really much to do, but it's lovely <laughs> golf um, weather right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's down, it's down now for the season here, but I mean, golf's been great. I'm networking everyone in real estate golf. Oh yeah. Parts. So it's yeah. a great networking thing and you can get out and have fun and be outside and play a sport. So yeah, I like, I like yeah. golf a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm God awful at golf and my dad has always begged me to get into it. And I, I told him that, you know, that's not cool. The cool kids run cross country. So, you know, that's, that's what I did, but, uh, um, boy, was I, I 100% a test. It is God awful at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. But luckily my, my father-in-law just got me some clubs. So I'll be I'll be, uh, you know, be taking some lessons. I'll be coming for you soon, Austin. Uh, <laughs> Austin, you want to take the last question? Yeah. So as the last question, uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to post more and more on Instagram. It's kind of a good way to stay in tune on some of the stuff we're, we're doing. So uh, that's just my first and last name, Brock Mogensen. Um, we also have our, our website is just smartassetcapital.com. Um, there's a few kind of extension links on there. We have some educational, um, stuff posts on there, some free eBooks and downloadable templates and stuff like that. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, we really appreciate you being on the show. It was, it was great to have you. 
Thanks for having me on. Thank you everyone for listening to the show. We hope you gained something from today's episode and put it into action right away. Please make sure to share, subscribe, and review our podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram and TikTok at mulligans underscore underscore. This helps us to grow and share more great stories. My name is Austin Cole. I'm Hayden Wright. Signing Signing off. off.